Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 21? We will bid farewell to John today. He has been a good teacher for quite some time. Love, trust, and obey. Really, it hasn't been that long at this point since the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, and then the time of passion, crucifixion. In chapter 20, we read that Christ appeared twice to his disciples. Once when Thomas was not there and the next time when Thomas was there, eight days later. Christ left with them a great commission, the great commission. He told them to receive the Holy Spirit. He guaranteed them power to do what he was to charge them to do. Namely, of course, to carry the gospel, to preach forgiveness, repentance and forgiveness. The key, as we saw in John chapter 20, is that everybody needs forgiveness. We're sinners. We need God's forgiveness. We need God to give to us what we need and to save us. We can't do it ourselves. And it comes by way of, of course, confession, repentance, and forgiveness. And he gave the great commission to them in John 20 in an interesting way. He said, those whose sins you forgive are forgiven. And if you don't forgive their sins, they're not forgiven. Well, when we compare that to another gospel account, we come to realize that only those who are sent by Christ and who are empowered by Christ can carry the gospel message of Christ, the crux of which is forgiveness. Sinners who are guilty and who are sinful need forgiveness. And so this was their charge at the close of John chapter 20. The first appearance without Thomas, eight days later. Second appearance with Thomas. Two appearances. And this charge about preaching the importance of forgiveness. Now let's look then in John chapter 21. And we're going to go through the whole chapter and pick up important points that John leaves us with in the closing of his gospel after these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, 
I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll come with you. They went out and got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. Yeah. These are seven of the 11 of the disciples of Christ. These are charged and nobody else in the world. These are charged with the Great Commission. Jesus will be with them after his resurrection for 40 days. Luke 24 says that he taught them many things in those 40 days. This is part of the teaching process here. This is really, as much as anything, a story about Peter. When you compare the gospel accounts, Peter had said earlier that these other guys may forsake you, but I'll never forsake you. Well, you know what happened. He denied the Lord three times before the cock crowed, just like Jesus said. And when the cock crowed, Christ on his way to the cross looked at Peter, who was in the distance. And Peter sorely grieved. He fell apart. Now there's a, <laughs> there's a, there's an elephant in the boat. <laughs> there's an elephant on the seashore. And nobody is saying anything about it. Peter, who had said so many things about his loyalty to Jesus and what a strong disciple he was, ended things at the crucifixion of Christ in shame and betrayal. So then, this is the third time Jesus appears to them. There are seven of them. Peter says, now Jesus hasn't, I don't know how many days have passed, but it says after these things. Certainly not 40 days, but some days probably had passed. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. And those who were with him said, well, let's go. First point to be made is they were under a mandate from Christ. Christ doesn't make a mistake. He doesn't mistakenly call us into the gospel ministry. So then under that mandate, and it just is fresh out of chapter 20, under that mandate, rather than doing anything else, Peter went back to the thing that he knew and loved, which was fishing. You have to ask yourself the question, you know, how, how can he do this? He, how can they go with him? They had just seen Jesus appear from out of nowhere twice. And he gave to them their orders. And so they are there 
where they are not necessarily supposed to be doing what they were not commissioned to do, namely fishing. So Peter says, I'm going fishing. All the others said, there's seven of them here. They're going to get in the boat. Went out, got in the boat. That night they caught nothing. I can tell you from experience, you can make up your own mind and just ignore Christ and ignore his call in your life. And you won't ignore it for very long. My daddy used to have a saying when he would, when he would say something to somebody and they would just sort of look the other way. My daddy would say, I'd rather be slapped than ignored. Christ apparently has been ignored. How do you ignore the Son of God? They're shaken up. They're confused. There's an old saying, you know, when you don't know what to do, you probably ought not to do anything because you'll mess up, especially in the ministry. You know, don't force the issue. Abraham tried to do that. Peter tried to do that. It all came to a mess everywhere through the scriptures where those called of God tried to force the issue in their calling without waiting for the direction from God and the power of God. And it just got all messed up. Well, let's just go fishing. All night, seven of them, expert fishermen. Didn't catch a thing. They caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. And here's the beautiful thing. He knew where they were. They weren't going to get away from him. I can tell you from experience, I have tried to escape from Jesus in, in calling to the ministry. It just doesn't work. He knows how to get your attention. He knew how to get my attention more than once. So Jesus knew where they were. Day is breaking. Been out all night. These guys are tired. Jesus on the beach. The disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, now they're going to be under the direction of Christ and thereby they will be empowered by Christ. Now the whole situation is going to change because Jesus is going to give the direction and they'll do what Jesus has said to do and Jesus is on the scene. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast. Then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. It's proper, it's appropriate, it's right to wait on Christ. There's nothing wrong with that at all. 
But it is never right to think that you can forge ahead of Christ or just go do something else and thus ignore Christ. You can't do that. We are saved unto good works. That's what we're told in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Something Christ has separated us, has graciously called us, and has given us new life. And in that new life, he gave us a call and empowerment to serve and minister somehow. I believe that most of the time when we serve and minister as Christians, we don't even recognize it as ministering. And we're just doing it because this is who we are. This is what we do. And we all do various things. Some of us do some things and some another. And Christ uses it all and we all come together. in the whole of the work of Christ and his church. But you're not going to ignore Christ. He came to where they were on the beach. They didn't know him. You have any fish? No. Casting it on the right side. They did. So many fish, they were not able to haul in the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John. We already know that's John. Whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work and cast himself into the sea. Seemed like a dumb thing to do. It's like Jesus never sees me in my underwear, right? He... I would, I would rather be in a boat where seven people are rowing and the wind is blowing than to be jump into the water and think that I can outswim everybody. But there he goes. That's Peter. He jumps into the water. Other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 200 cubits away, a little more than 100 yards, dragging the net full of fish. They couldn't even get it in the boat. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place and fish placed on it and bread. Now, look, Christ was already there. Christ had already prepared breakfast for them, bread and fish. Christ already had some fish but he would let them contribute the fish that he told them to go catch. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you now have that you've caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish. 153. Man, I have researched that. 153 fish. You think, well, there has to be some significance to this, right? You'd think, 153. My first question I have is, who counted them? One, two, three, four. Who's going to do that? I don't know. One of them did. 153 fish. So I've been, I took a day to research that number, 153, and why it was in John's gospel, chapter 21 and verse 11. I read it. I read so many different things. I couldn't begin to recount. One of them said that 100 
represented the Gentiles because they would be the most who would be saved. And the number 50 represented the Jews. They would be the next group who would be saved. And that three represented the Holy Trinity. All bull. You don't know. <laughs> you don't know. You don't know what that word, what that 153 means. The best, my favorite, seriously, was St. Jerome. St. Jerome himself, you could go back way back, a long time. You see these early church fathers, and they're like me. They're 150, why 153? He went in, he delved deeply into Greek scrolls in, in ancient Greek libraries. And he discovered that at the time they were fishing, during that era, the Greek scientific scrolls had designated and recognized 153 different kinds of fish. Well, that, wouldn't, that, that doesn't seem to be too applicable today because there are probably thousands of kinds of fish and the Greeks only knew about 153. So Jerome said, well, what it means is that every kind of person, every type of person, everywhere they are, regardless of what they may look like or, or anything else, the Christ is there and that net is going to bring them all in. I, I, well, I'm going to tell you a secret. I don't want you to tell anybody else. I do not know what 153 means. <laughs> but I guess it means there was a bunch of them. Seven plus Jesus, that's Eight. 153 fish plus ever how many Christ had already on the fire. That seems to be more than enough to me. The greater point is they did nothing all night long without the direction of Christ and without recognizing his presence. But then just for a brief span of time, just with the presence of Christ and just with the command of Christ, they brought in more than the net could handle. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. This is the work of Christ. So this message, first of all, starts out by telling us we can't just ignore Christ, number one. Number two, we can't just meander around. We have to honestly believe and know that Christ knows where we are and will be present to us in a special way and will give us the unction that only we need from him. It's a very personal thing. Not only will he empower us but he will produce the results. You see, this whole thing is by the work of Christ. This whole thing is by the direction of Christ. It's by the power of Christ. Except that they were able to draw the net in, cast it out and draw it in. Except that they were there when Christ performed this miracle. The disciples really didn't have anything to do. And this is such a great message for the church. I think the church through the centuries gets more messed up the more that it tries to help Jesus do his job. 
And so, you know, we've split into all of these different ways and things. And then men's philosophies come into the church and men's ways of thought and, and men who are supposed to be heroes of the faith and all this. Nobody does anything apart from Christ in the church. This is a great, this is a great message for us to understand. People, people aren't, if, if people are drawn by something other than the power of Christ, they bring the world with them, they bring their troubles with them, and they won't last. It's just, I can tell you that from experience. You can do all kinds of things. We need the presence and the direction and the power of Christ and nothing else. We are commissioned. Now we need direction and focus. And if we have to, we'll wait on him. What's the th- what did he tell him to do as he ascended? Go and wait until you are empowered from on high. Go and wait. They didn't know how long to wait. That was the only instruction they had. So it is with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We worship Christ. We adore Christ. We exalt him because of who he is and what he does. There's nothing that we can do. He just works through us and in us. Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to question him. Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Every appearance, of course, would be important and it would be a teaching experience. What have they already learned? Well, what they've already learned is that Jesus is not going to turn them loose on their own. He will direct their work. And he will not abandon them in the work, nor will he abandon them in the call, the great commission. It is the most important commission of anything that could be commanded of man in all of time. Namely, that the saved of Christ go into this world and as we are going through the world, carry the gospel message of Christ the centerpiece of which is forgiveness of sins. You can't be forgiven of sins until you admit that you're a sinner and then confess the sin and in confessing the sin, repent of the sin and be forgiven of the sin, of the sins that we have that are heavy laden upon us. These are the only ones, well, there are others, but there are four others that are not there, but these seven... They comprise most of those whom Christ has sent into the world. Christ has done everything. They're going to come and enjoy breakfast. He already has it prepared for them. He's going to give to them of the bread and of of the fish. And he has manifested himself to the disciples that they may understand that he knows exactly where they are. And he knows exactly when they are doing what they're supposed to be doing and when they are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. He did not send them to go fish for fish. He sent them to go fish for men. So then, 
the lesson continues. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John. Okay. This is not a term of endearment. When my mother was not on a war path, she would say, Charles, sweetie, would you come here just a minute? Charles, honey, I need you to do something for me. But when I was hiding from that which I had done wrong, it wasn't Charles, sweetie. It was this. Charles Lewis, come here. Well, that was like the call of God. Just poof, the rapture. I couldn't hide. There was nowhere to go. This is how, this is how Christ is calling. It's not, it's not Peter or Simon Peter. Here it is. Simon Barjona. Well, that's who he was before Christ said he would be Peter. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. I can, this is the gospel according to Charles. You can take it or leave it. At that moment, you know, when you have a little dog and, you're, and you scold it, you can see it all over the little dog's face. He's kind of, ugh, drops his ears and doesn't want to look, you know. This is Simon Barjona. Simon, son of John. He looked, I could see he, looked, he would look down. Here it comes. Do you love me more than these? Okay. I think you all know how the words break down. You've probably heard this, a message from this passage before. Jesus asks him this three times. Twice he uses the word that comes from agape, which is the highest form of love. Peter never uses that form. Do you agape me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I flail you. I love you with the highest and warmest affection. Different word. It's a beautiful word. It's a family love word. But it's not agape. It's not the word that Jesus used. Several things probably running through Peter's mind. Number one. He failed Christ miserably. He showed himself to be a traitor in a sense that he expressed his undying loyalty above and beyond any of the other disciples. And then he failed. John never left Jesus' side. Peter never came to his side. And then the horrible denial three times with cursing and swearing. This was the big elephant on the shore. So he calls him out from all the others. Do you love me more than these? Now there again, it's a demonstrative pronoun, these. That's another one of those words that you chase. <coughs> and you go through 
all of the Greek scholars and all of the commentators and you see, well, who is these? What is these? Do you love me more than these? Well, they're in the presence of, he's in the presence of six other disciples, but he's also in the presence of his fishing boat and his net and the fish that they brought out. So, you know, some say he was talking to Peter with regard, does Peter love him more than what he had done all of his life? That's a strong possibility. I have no problem with that. Do you love me more than this? The other was, do you love me more than these love me? Do you think you love me more than they do? That, that's a possibility. It's one of those, but either will fit within the context of the lesson. If, you're, if you love Christ, you forsake everything else, even family. The strangest day, one of the most difficult days of my life was when I walked away from the family business and went into the full-time ministry as a pastor. That was strange. I'd grown up in the security of this work, this store. I knew all about it. I knew that it would be mine not too many years from then. My daddy was getting much older. But there is, there is a compelling within the heart of a person, within the heart of a man, when he is called to do a specific work for Christ. It's indescribable. And it cannot compare with anything that one might try to think about. It's no different for Peter. He was never uncalled as a disciple. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me? Okay, do you love me more than fishing? You were here fishing. This is what you decided to do when I last left you with a great commission, but you came fishing. Do you love me more than fishing? Or, maybe it was, do you love me more than these love me? The other guys who were there, One can never claim to love Christ more than someone else loves him. Either way, there was a lesson to be learned. Peter stands of himself not to be compared with anyone else. And everyone in the ministry, everyone in service to Christ stands before Christ as a slave of Christ who demands everything from us. Everything. Remember, he said, we saw it in John, John 20, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Well, what did Christ give up? Read Philippians 2. He gave up, he gave up deity glory. He gave up, he laid aside his glory as God the Son. He became a man 
leaving the, the glorified place of deity himself and became a man and died an ignominious death. He died a humiliating death. Even the death of the cross, which was the worst and most humiliating kind of death in the day of Christ. So what did Christ lay aside? I would never lay aside anything as much as Christ laid aside. It is a call that is to be all-consuming in the life of the one who is called, the one who serves Christ. Dare any of us as Christians put a love for anything ahead of our love for Christ. Dare we in any way serve something else more and in a greater way than we serve Christ? Well, that's all wrong. If we do. Here, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, Phileo. You know that I have the deepest affection for you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. Now that's a, that's a word that means not just to feed, bosque. It means to feed them, but lovingly care for them in the feeding. Tend my lambs. So he starts out in the diminutive. In, in our case, we would think of little children. First thing, take care of the little ones. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And there's the same word, agapas, do you love me, me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. Different word. It's uh, the, the word uh, probata. It means guard my sheep. Watch over my sheep. They are sheep. They are vulnerable. You must watch over, guard, shepherd my sheep. So tend to my little ones, feed them. And in feeding them, tenderly care for them. Secondly, my sheep, which is all inclusive, not just the little ones, but all of them. Shepherd, watch over, guard, protect my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son, son of John, do you love me? Now, here, Phileas, Christ comes down to Peter's word. Do you dearly, affectionately love me as much as you could love anyone in the sense of family and loved ones? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? The third time. How many times did Peter deny Christ? Three times. Peter, 
I will accept you where you are. But you're not going to be fishing anymore. You're going to have to do away with your fishing boat and lay your fishing pole aside, do away with the nets. Now, you'll shepherd sheep. It's going to be different. You see, not only is Christ over us in the work, and not only can we not do the work without the power of Christ and the presence of Christ and the direction of Christ, but neither can we do the work unless we love Christ above all else and are willing to sacrifice ourselves, everything in life, for Christ. Jesus said, tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, speaking to Peter, Jesus is speaking to Peter. When you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Sacrifice yourself. Let me tell you about salvation. You hear me say this a lot. Salvation is not cheap. It's free. Yes, sir, it's free. It's not cheap. It's free. But neither is it easy. I'll tell you something that is a truth. You can write this down. This is not the Bible, but you can write this down. There is no such thing as a free dog. You can write that down. It's okay. You write that down. I have three dogs that are free. They were free to me and Pat. Last year, they cost us about, what, $5,000? I'm, I'm telling you, about $5,000, these free dogs. See, my big male is scared of thunder. We have this lovely set of doors and the window panes and all kind of stuff. And then he, he got an ear infection. And then I had to have the, the female fixed. And there's no such thing as a free dog. <laughs> there is such a thing as free salvation. That's the only way you get it. But let me tell you something. It will cost you something. It's free. But it's not easy. When the Son of God... Sends the Holy Spirit. And by the mandate from the Father, you are called into Christ. Everything changes. Born again. Outlook on life. Goals in life. Direction in life. Friends will change. Hobbies will change. I'm telling you, things are different. It's a sacrifice. Jesus said, you know what? It's not going to be like you thought it would be. It's going to be hard. Now this he said signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this he said to him. Follow me. 
the next thing you have to do is follow Christ. Follow Christ. Nothing else. Follow Christ. Follow me. Peter turning around. Now Jesus had just told him he was going to die kind of a bad death. Peter turning around saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. Now that's John, the guy who wrote the gospel. The one who also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who's the one who betrays you? So he's the one who said all that at the supper, John. So Peter, seeing John, said to Jesus, well, Lord, what about him? I had brothers and a sister. Charles Les? Well, but she, I'll take care of her like you, I'm talking to you. (laughs) Who is the one who betrays you? He asked at the supper, this is identified as John. Peter sees John, says to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Now, One of the sneakiest things that will worm its way into your psyche as a Christian is to look around at other Christians. And you are on a direction to do things and you're wondering, well, what about them? See, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. What about, what about that guy? Why, why am I... Well, you know, it doesn't matter. The next thing after sacrifice is focus. You have this one thing to do. Follow Christ. Obedience. Trust Him. Obey Him. What is that to you if I want to live forever? Therefore this saying went out among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus didn't say to him that he wouldn't die. Only if I want him to remain until I come. What's that to you? Now, who all heard what Jesus said, those disciples? Who started that gossip rumor? One of those guys, right? Jesus said he wouldn't ever die. That's not what Jesus said. (laughs) If I want him to remain until I come, what's that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness to these things and wrote these things. And we know that his witness is true. The next thing is to understand that we stand upon a reliable and infallible testimony. Nothing is stronger than the Word of God. Nothing more powerful than the gospel of Christ. It separates humanity. It brings some into the glorious presence of of God's salvation... And casts others to hell. It divides like nothing else can divide. I can't tell you why some are on this side of the gospel call and some are on that side. That's not my job. My job is to extend the gospel call. To tell people that we are sinners 
We have one Savior, and we need forgiveness of sin. He will save us and give us eternal life if we would but come to Him, believe in Him, trust Him. He took care of everything for us. Just utterly trust and obey. Cast off everything else in your life. Don't count on yourself. Don't count on your works. Don't even worry about your lack of works. Come to Christ. He is guaranteed to take care of everything else. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have a reliable and infallible testimony on which we stand. There are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written one after the other, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Can I remember it? Would we with ink the oceans fill? Is that right? And the sky of parchment made. And every stalk on earth a quill. And every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. We could not exhaust this great message even if it's written from sky to sky. The love of God. That's what he says here. There's nothing that we could do to contain in record all that Christ did. But John said in chapter 20, but I've written these things that you may know that he's the son of God and that believing and that knowing that he's the son of God, believing in his name, you'd be saved. Just those seven miracles and the story of who Jesus is. What a great gospel. The gospel of John. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ, the son of God, came into this world to save sinners. According to the word of God, if you will admit that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus and call on him to save you, you will be saved. If you're here today without Christ, it is our prayer that you don't leave that way. According to the call of God in your life, we stand ready to pray with you and to be there in the stead of Christ that you may know Christ as Savior. Maybe you're here and you're already saved. You want to come into the membership of Shiloh. We're ready to take care of that too. As you exit today, we have deacons and their wives in the rooms right across from where the soundboard is just as you leave. They're ready to pray with you and talk to you about the Lord and your work for the Lord. Prayerfully, let's stand all over this room and we'll be dismissed.